Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, Don, for the songs. Glorious indeed is his name. All his names. I have a reference to it later in the lesson, but if you recall, we used to have that one uh, hang, wall hanging in the entryway with all the various names. And I won't say, I shouldn't say all. I don't think that had them all. That's now down in our fellowship room, so this leads us into our lesson, how do we begin to talk about Jesus? What can you say? There is so much to say. The scriptures are filled with him. The scriptures are about him. And it's a lifetime of learning, of getting to know him. As he offered his prayer in John 17, this is eternal life, that they might know you, Father, and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit in Colossians 1 there, our first scripture. And we could, uh, we could spend the whole time on that scripture, but we're not. Amazing facts and insights about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The image of God. This is talking about Jesus now, Okay. The image of the invisible God. So we can't see God. God is spirit. But we can see Jesus. They could see Jesus. We can see him in the, in the scripture. He is the express image of God, as the Hebrew writer said. And that's what we're going to look at. Don read the scripture already. He's the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't... He, I mean, he was the first one born, but it means he has the right of inheritance. He's the firstborn. Consider that. He's the only begotten Son of God. Paul goes on to say, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Who's in the beginning, he was with God, he was God, he was part of the creation process. I believe when we read in Genesis, and God spoke, and God said, let there be light, that when he said that, that's the word of God. That's God, the mind of God speaking, and when God speaks, as we understand, it happens, doesn't it? He can't take it back. And so, the word is truth. And Jesus was there. And was there with the creation. Thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities. I think it's a reference to those cosmic powers, the, the beings we don't see. Angelic beings, other beings that we don't even know about that are referenced throughout Scripture. 
17 is before all things, and in him all things hold together. First chapter of Hebrews talks about everything, he hold, upholds everything by the word of his power. Not only did he speak it into existence, but he continues to keep it into existence by his word, by his saying, it shall continue. You're totally dependent upon the word of God, Christ Jesus. He is also head of the body, the church. That's us. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. And we should submit to him in all things. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself can come, will come to have first place in everything. Some translations there have preeminence. First place in everything. Firstborn from the dead. He conquered death. He conquered Hades. He is over all things. All things. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. That goes back to verse 15. The image of the invisible God. All the fullness meaning of God to dwell in him. All of it. Dwell in Jesus. And through him to reconcile all things to himself. Bring them back from the the world of sin, captivity to Satan, being in the enemy's camp to bring them back to God. So, as he says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Peace. Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. Much there we could talk about, but that's just to set the stage as we talk about Jesus of course, at this time of year, we're reminded of his birth at every place we turn. And we want to consider this passage from Isaiah, which is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, the Anointed One. So let's go back there, read this again, and then we're going to look at these various names that are given here. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulder. Place of greatness, right? Power. He's going to rule. Not just the earth, but all things. All things. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Notice the picture is given. He's the only begotten Son of God, but notice he is born to us and given to us, indicating his humanity and also that, that he is a gift from God to the human race. And what a gift he is. Jesus the Savior. He's a ruler. He's a kingdom. King and his kingdom built on righteousness and justice and how we need that today, don't we? Where uh, we see in the news 
it's almost comical, but it's not comical. Every time you turn around, somebody backtracks. Somebody says, oh, I didn't mean that. Somebody is caught up in doing something. Where is the righteousness and where is the justice? It just seems to be lacking these days. But in Jesus' kingdom, there is righteousness, there is justice, and we should realize we need that. We need to know what's right. We need true justice to come so everybody knows where they stand, stand with one another, and stand with God. That is so important. Who will this be? Scripture is filled with the names of God, as we said about the display board. Here we have four that are mentioned in this prophecy by Isaiah. And just a note on the, uh, the reading here on the translations, they're a little bit different. Uh, some of the older translations have wonderful and then a common and counselor. Okay? Understand there are no punctuation marks in the Hebrew, just like there's none in the Greek. And so it depends upon who's reading it or who's publishing it, where that comma should fall. I think the newer translations have it right because of the syntax, that this is really a prophecy, but it's also poetry. And it just flows better that wonderful counselor goes together like the other three groups of the names. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so that's the way we're going to use it this morning. So what can we learn from these names? The names, as we know, represent the person, the character, something that happened in their lives. We've talked about names many times. Uh, people were given names by God because of who they would be, become a situation that had happened with them. One that comes to mind, Jacob, when he wrestled with God, that night, that angel of God, he was, his name was changed to Israel, which meant prince with God. And God gave him that name because of that wrestling match that night. We don't want to get into that, but we understand about names. Let's look at Wonderful Counselor. This is probably the one most overlooked in this prophecy because it's most misunderstood of the four, the four names. Because a counselor is much more than an advice giver. Okay? And uh, very briefly, a counselor does three things. Uh, a counselor helps a person assess their life in the light of the Word of God. Okay? People come with a problem. People come with a situation. And... The Word of God is designed to help us live life in the right way, isn't it? It's the foundation of life. And so that's where we need to go for the truths of relationships, personal problems, internal trouble, turmoil inside and all this. The Word of God has the answer. And so the counselor helps a person assess their life, their situation in light of the Word of God. Secondly... The counselor helps the person construct a plan to make the changes necessary in their life to receive the benefits of the, keeping the Word of God. What do you need to do to change? A counselor helps a person do that 
You know, you're not following the Lord. You're, you're worrying too much. How do we change that? This is what we need to do to get you to change that. You're, uh, you're having trouble with your children. Why is that? Are you teaching them the right way? What do we need to do to make the adjustments? And then the third thing is, and this is often overlooked, a counselor helps a person or couple or a family work through all of this until they achieve the goal, okay? They help them work through that. They just don't tell them what to do and then let it go because, you know, things don't always work out when you first start to change, do they? They do not. And so you have to keep coming back and say, okay, this is working, this is not. What do we need to do? And so you work through that with the person until they're, they're on good footing and they've got the change pretty well established in their life. So we look at Jesus. Is he a wonderful counselor? I think he's supremely qualified because he is, first of all, the word of God himself, isn't he? And so we see in the scriptures, there he is, the word of God, how do we live life? He can point out to us the things we need to do to change, how to, uh, to be a good parent, to be a good husband or wife, uh, to be a good servant, uh, to, to be at peace, and all these kinds of things. It's all there. It's all there. He also set the perfect example for us, didn't he, in Scripture? He showed us how to live it. There's the example we read in the Gospels. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. So he has that perfect example for us to look at. He tells us in his word how to assess our lives in light of Scripture, doesn't he? He challenges us to do that. He says, consider. He asks questions. He says, you need to do this on a regular basis. Look at yourself in light of the word. And then what does he do? He empowers us by the Holy Spirit to make the change, doesn't he? Also through prayer. Ask me anything and I will do it, right? You see, so many of us, the problem with counseling is we really don't want to change. We just take, you know, we go to somebody and they say, you should do this and that. Okay, thank you. And we never bother to change. But if we really want to change, it takes work, it takes effort, and sometimes it hurts. It's painful to get rid of the old and to put on the new. And Jesus challenges us to do that on a regular basis through the Word of God. And he gives us the power to do that. And he has, secondly... I'm not secondly, third or fourthly there, promise to be with us always, right? He will be with us through all of it. He'll never leave us. And so he'll help us on a regular basis whenever we call on him to make those changes. John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Scripture says you do not have because you do not ask. It's so simple. We struggle with life, but we don't ask Jesus for help. So simple. Verse 16 and 17. I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. 
That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So many times we read into some of these passages of scripture, and the spirit of truth will be with us forever. But he's only talking about salvation. But that's not true. It is, starts with salvation, but then it starts with how do you live this Christian life? How do you deal with the problems of life? How do you overcome temptation? How do you become the kind of person God wants you to be? That's all involved in the gift of the Spirit and the Word of God. It's so much more than just being saved. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. All right? Follow what I say. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So there we have keeping his word, and the Father will come, and I will come, and we'll live with with him. We'll never leave you. The word of God is the guide. The example of Jesus is there for us to see. He is indeed the wonderful counselor. If we'll just consult him, just consult him and say, Lord, help me. I got a problem. Second name, mighty God. It's difficult to fathom. And I've been at this for many years, and many of you have too. God became man. It's hard to grasp. But it's true. I think he was preparing this from the beginning when he said, let us make man in our own image. He prepared man from the beginning so that he would eventually become man, being made in the image of God. And I think that is the main part when we look at image of God that we need to look at of what does that mean that eventually God would come to live in a human body. That that could happen and would happen. The lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. What are some characteristics of God? Does Jesus live up to them? What about power? We always think of power. His miracles were beyond dispute, weren't they? Even his enemies could not say that his miracles were fake and they were just magic or sleight of hand. Like Don's sleight of hand up there. His enemies couldn't deny. You know, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, they, they all saw it and they, what'd they do? His enemies went and said, we got to put this guy to death. It's just crazy in our mind. Is that what you do? But they knew he had raised a man from the dead. So he had the power of God. He walked on the water, the healings, casting out demons, everything. Controlled the weather. I want to share this one with you. It's, uh, it fits in with the lesson here because it's about Jesus' power. But it's also, I think, kind of a little aside here about Jesus' humor. You ever think of Jesus having humor? He was a human being. The wedding at Cana in John chapter 2. 
I'm not going to turn there. You can read it later. You know, they ran out of wine, uh, and they, Mary comes to Jesus and said, you know, they're out of wine. He says, it's not my time. And she says, do what he says. And uh, said there were some, I think it was six, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, these big jugs there of 20, it said 20 to 30 gallons of, of uh, water they used for the uh, Jewish rituals of cleansing and washing and all that. And uh, he said, you know, fill them up. And then they dipped out the wine and took it to the headmaster. And he said, that's the best wine. What would you do? And he said, you know, I don't, the, guy, the, the grooms, the, he's, he's just in a big uh, fog like everybody else. But I was reading a book, and the author went to the trouble figuring out, you know, taking, say, 25 gallons of water in each one of those jugs, how many bottles of wine that was. You know how many bottles of wine that was? 750 bottles of wine. I did the math myself. It, came, it comes out. Now Jesus is saying, you want some wine? I'll make you some wine. <laughs> 750, and it's the best wine. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, the power of Jesus. What about knowledge and wisdom? We think about God. Knows all, all-knowing. She spoke with authority. It confounded everyone. He had a clear, decisive exposition of Scripture. No one could refute what he said. He was the Word of God. He had the knowledge. What about his love and compassion, his goodness? Again, we're speaking about not only the, the miracles show his power, but the miracles also show his compassion, don't they? She's the leper. And the leper says, you know, if you want to, you can heal me. And Jesus says, yes, I'm willing. He touched him. And he was with the publicans and the sinners. And he wasn't afraid what people thought. Because they were all his children. All of them. Not just the Hebrews, but all people. Not just the ones keeping the law. All of them were his people. All were his children. He wanted them all saved. And then what about his cross? Mike said at the table, glad Jesus is my Savior. His cross is his gift to humanity. His blood. Don't ever think Jesus doesn't love you. Don't ever let that thought even creep into your mind that he doesn't love you. His perfection, his sinlessness. Mighty God. There'd be no doubt. The Jews knew what he was saying here in John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. The words God spoke to Moses at Sinai. 
And Moses said, tell me who you are. I am. I just am. I was. I am now. And I always will be. That's God. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw it in, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They knew what he was claiming to be, and he was right. God in the flesh, mighty God. The next name in the prophecy, Eternal Father. And I thought about this. I said, why, do, why is it both mighty God and eternal Father? I mean, that's kind of a little bit the same thing, is it not? And well, yes. But I think it's probably to show just a different aspect of God and to show the emphasis that was placed on Father in the New Testament when Jesus became the Son. So we think about what are some of the characteristics of a good, righteous father? And does Jesus show these? The father is the one who is to provide stability in the home. And direction. This is the kind of house this is going to be. That comes from the father. He's the head. He provides protection and daily sustenance. I think Jesus does that, doesn't he? Provides teaching and discipline. We just kind of talked about that a little bit. He has an ear to listen. Godly Father will listen to all the children. Words of encouragement. He's not constantly berating and name-calling the kids, but encouraging them in the things they can do. But a good father does. He helps with troubles. He's available. He provides a good example. He shows a father's love. We can't doubt that Jesus does all these and more. In John 14, 8, you've heard me here before. I love the passage. I'm actually going to start in 7. The situation, Jesus has said, I'm leaving. I'm going away. This has got the disciples upset. They well, where are you going? We want to come. No, you can't come now. You come later. Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. <clears throat> and Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And as we read this, you know, this is kind of like, again, trying to grasp the concept of the Godhead, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. Philip, Philip says, okay, if you're going away, show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? I don't know if they were sitting around at this point or not, but I, I can see Jesus just kind of leaning over to Philip and saying, Philip, 
have I been with you so long and, and you don't know me? He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Right? We're no different. We might be different persons, but we are not different. There's just so hard to grasp the Godhead. How can you say, show us the Father? I've been here. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does the works. Inseparable. The same. Yet different. Difficult to grasp. Eternal Father. Yes, he is. And the last one, Prince of Peace. To really grasp this, we have to go back to the beginning and see how Satan brought war and destruction into the world when he tempted Eve and caused her to sin. Yes, we were complicit. Yes, we listened to him, but he was the instigator. And trouble developed ever since then. Soon after there was war, war of two kinds. I think it's important for us to see this. And We were talking in our Bible class this morning about things written before time were written for our learning. We need to go back and read them and study them and apply the lessons. What happened after? Well, God had told Cain and Abel to bring a sacrifice, right? And we're not going to get into exactly what that was about, but God had evidently stipulated certain things about the sacrifice. Well, Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God, but Cain's was not. And this created the first conflict, if you will, on earth. And that was in Cain's heart. Remember the story? Cain was struggling with that. Why did God reject me and accept my brother's sacrifice? And God had a talk with him, didn't he? He said, sin is at the door. You're struggling right now, but you should rule over it. You should do the right thing. That is the first war, and that is really where war is in this world. It's inside, in our hearts, where we struggle with doing what's right. That's where it is. Then it was manifested outwardly when what did Cain do? He did not rule over the sin, but he killed his brother. And so you can rest assured when people... When you and I do something wrong, it always starts in here. It's always in here first. And then it's shown on the outside. Whether it's what we do, or what we say, or maybe what we don't do that we should do. And so the conflict raged from then on. All through history. We see Noah in his day. People were corrupt. And God had to destroy humanity, save for Noah's family and so forth. So Jesus brings peace. He's the peace bringer. First of all, reconciliation with God. 
through his cross. If we, in fact, we read that there in Colossians 1, didn't we? Peace through the blood of his cross. That's the only way to be at peace with God is to have your sins forgiven and for me to have my sins forgiven. Then I can know I'm at peace with God because God has nothing against me now. I'm forgiven. My sins are gone. And that wonderful thought. So many Christians even struggle with that because they don't really see or believe their sins are forgiven. You have to believe that, otherwise you'll never be at peace. Jesus came to bring peace. We might be at peace with God, and when that happens, then we should be at peace in ourselves, in here in the heart. We should be at peace. I'm at peace with God. God is, uh, God is there. He's ruling the earth. Jesus is my Savior. He's taking care of things. Yeah, we should not let the circumstances of life steal this peace. This peace goes beyond the circumstances of life. Yes, we're going to have struggle. Yes, there's concerns. But that peace should never be stolen from us by the circumstances of life. And then we should have peace with our neighbor. That's what we work for. As much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men, right? That's the kind of people we are. If we're Jesus' people, we want to live at peace. We want to be helpful and kind and courteous and not cause trouble. So he is the peace, prince of peace, the peace bringer, the peace giver, and the one who calls us to peace. John 14, 27, as we close out, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Have you received Jesus' peace? He wants to give it to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. You know, the world, the world cannot give you peace. All my promises, you know, you get all, you win that big lottery out there. What is that, 200 and some million dollars now? You win that, you'll be good. No, you won't. Won't happen. Won't happen. I give you peace right in here. The peace that lasts and the peace that can never be stolen. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. Don't let it. See, we can control that. Depends on what we focus on. If you focus on the trouble, guess what? You'll start to get all frustrated and anxious inside. But if you focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You'll be at peace. You focus on what he says. 16.33 These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, what? You have tribulation. And it will come. And as he said, you know, Jesus was always up front, like I've said before. Things will not always be right. Not everything will be fixed. There will always be trouble. But in me, in me, you have peace. Take courage. I have overcome the world. And he did. And he has. And right now he's bringing all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed 
will be death. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. All these things and more. The prophesied Messiah, Jesus fulfilled those names. He is Savior and Lord. If you want to obey the gospel this morning and come to this Jesus, he can give you peace. You can accept him as your God your counselor for life, your father who promised to take care of you. He's waiting. If you are a Christian and your life is still a mess, it's a shambles, that doesn't mean you don't have, any, you don't have trouble, but inside you're a mess. You need to return to the Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Accept him as God and trust his word. You need prayer. We're here to assist you. Please come while Brother Don leads us.